0: This is The Road That Killed a City, Episode 5, Chaos. Bob Tracy grew up in Hartford in a time right before the viaduct was built.
1: Well, it was a multicultural neighborhood. It was a nice neighborhood, a working-class neighborhood. And uh, we grew up on Capitol Avenue, which is not too far from the state capital.
0: To this day, he remembers the construction process well.
1: You know, under construction... They started to open up, and there was a lot of mistakes in the highway when they were building it. I don't know, there was a lot of talk about the engineers that they used and the architects they used. There was some real problems.
0: Tracy remembers one farcical incident in particular.
1: You know, they had one giant entrance or exit coming off the highway, which was going to go right through our state capitol. So our capital would have to come down and they continued building that exit and they left it dangling in the air aiming right at our capital
0: the plan was to create a second east-west expressway this one called I-484
1: and we all thought that was they're going to have to put a hole right through our state capital or knock it down
0: this road planned to cut straight through Bushnell Park the oldest public park in the country and then zoom straight past the capital building now a National Historic Landmark. It was the original road path Robert Moses advised against. I-484 was scrapped partway through construction, but the towering viaduct north of the city was completed in 1965. Hartford suburban residents finally had their long-awaited east-west downtown expressway connection. After the highway was built, Tracy started to notice some changes in the city, some of which were small at first
1: they moved into one of the, our one of our fields which was like, like our baseball playing field so that was gone right away
0: but the changes then got more noticeable first and foremost while the highway did succeed in alleviating the issue it was meant to solve the congestion on city streets solving that problem only created other ones
1: that was our highway the main arteries and then that traffic uh, was cut way back these people now circumvented the town.
0: With the commuters gone, Tracy's neighborhood got quieter. But those commuters were also customers, and their money was something that the local businesses relied on.
1: Well, and we were in a small business area, and what the highway did to us is took our customers who had to drive by us, because we were the main arteries, and brought them around the town so they didn't even stop in Hartford. They just continued from coming east, going west. They would go right around the town of Harford, and they would get off wherever they lived.
0: And while this change was happening, Tracy's family decided to move out.
1: You know, and then the housing went down, the values went down. People moved out. uh, Properties were abandoned.
0: And in the north end, right above where Robert Moses redrew the highway, things were even worse. In 1968, Steve Harris was tens of thousands of miles away from Hartford, fighting for his life.
2: I found myself in Vietnam, in the infantry, in the central highlands, which is one of the hottest war zones in Vietnam. Now I'm 20, you know, it's kind of like, Jesus
0: Christ, you know, this is, this, this is not good, you know. Harris was at the forefront of the Tet Offensive one of the deadliest points of the war for American soldiers.
2: I just, I just remember, I, now I'm scared because I'm like four weeks away, three weeks away from going home. I haven't been killed yet. You know, God knows I don't want to get killed now.
0: But through his worst moments from his year in Vietnam, there was always one thing that kept him going.
2: During my lowest moments in Vietnam, and there's trust me, there was a bunch of them. My lowest moments in Vietnam, all I had to do was to take my weapon, my M16 rifle, Turn it over on the side and look at the magazine housing where you loaded the magazine in there. And it said, manufactured by Colt Firearms, Hartford, Connecticut. That would lift my spirits just to be able to see my hometown.
0: Harris survived his year in Vietnam. But when he came back home, the city he dreamed of returning to wasn't there.
2: My mother looks at me. She says, something I want to tell you. Some things have happened since you've been gone. Uh, First of all, your grandfather died. He and I were. And she said, the city's on fire. I said, what do you mean the city's on fire? She said, the day Dr. King got assassinated, the city started burning that night. Mm -hmm. And it's been on fire ever since.
0: And as he got off the highway, he noticed the changes to the city right
2: away. And all I see is, I see smoke, I see people in the distance running back and forth across Main Street, helter-skelter. And I smell tear gas. And I remember we got off, went up the Main Street downtown. And I, and as I said to you earlier, downtown Hartford used to bustle. It was bustling. I don't care what day it was. It was just. We went down there and it was nobody down there. Uh, and I, that struck me how empty and silent downtown was. But now I can hear sirens, but I see no people.
0: For Harris, just coming back from Vietnam, seeing the city in the state that it was, was tough.
2: And I looked at my mother and said, Ma, I would have never thought that I would come back to a, this city like this. This is what I left in Vietnam, this kind of chaos. I com- I thought I was coming home to sanctuary. And, you know, I was home, we finally made it home. There was a curfew. And like I said, everywhere you went, it was just, it was just devastation. It was buildings that I was very, well, most of those buildings, I, you know, I, you, I just, it just struck me as I'm still in war. I'm still
0: at war. Harris noticed something else had changed after his year in Vietnam.
2: The one other striking thing that I noticed was we had no white neighbors anymore. This is in the course of a year. I left Hartford, which was an integrated city, came back to Hartford a year later. It was a segregated city.
0: And this had all come at a time when, in the South, the brazenly racist segregation policies were coming to an end. But at the same time in Hartford, redlining in the slum clearance done after building the viaduct was secretly separating a once integrated city.
2: It pretty much helped isolate a whole section of the city. But in that whole section of the city, for the most part, were poor black, you know, growing Latino population uh, and poor whites, the few that were still left.
0: There was a clear divide growing in Hartford, and it was a divide that was facilitated by a physical barrier.
2: Well, the first thing it did was the highway helped divide the city. You know, it disconnected North Hartford, pretty much.
0: When the viaduct cut the north end off from the downtown business district, just as Robert Moses planned, the level of care taken towards the residential neighborhood went down.
2: But a good percentage of the landlords were absentee landlords. Mm -hmm. so. Sturdy, three-family home, multifamily homes like the one I live in, you know, many of them weren't cared for as as lovingly as they were prior to riots and discourse, Uh, because, again, most of the folks that lived, they moved.
0: Over time, as nothing improved, the North End became a forgotten neighborhood. Its fate not a problem for those on the other side, as they were now able to simply drive right over it.
2: There are families that don't ever, hardly ever leave the block. They have no transportation. You know, it's just it's hard to to. And when you live in existence for so long a certain way, that becomes the norm.
0: The physical separation and isolation of their neighborhood meant that those in the north end were stuck. And it stayed this way.
2: So you don't realize your hardship because that's all you've ever known.
0: Ever since the viaduct was built, the neighborhood Harris grew up in, once a diverse working class community, has had a poverty rate that's been stable at about 40%. Of course, the urban renewal project was never meant to serve the North End. Instead, revitalize what was considered a failing downtown. So, how did that go? Well, the urban renewal plan drawn up by RTKL didn't completely go to plan. The walled-off business park, Constitution Plaza, and the nearby luxury apartment building, Bushnell Tower, were built. But not much other than that. The middle-income Riverview Plaza apartment complex never even broke ground. Neither did the low-income housing project in the North End. And the Sentinel Mall never made it past the drawing board either. Though, on the border between two green zone towns, West Hartford and Farmington, the creatively named West Farms Mall opened. Harris, coincidentally, was working during West Farms' first
2: day in operation. And I remember me and a few other security personnel that were out there in the lot watching these cars pour into this this massive parking lot and fill it up. We knew that that was the end of downtown.
0: Furthermore, to accommodate businessmen commuting by car, old buildings were torn down and replaced with parking lots. In fact, parking lots make up 17% of downtown land, that's two whole square miles. This, combined with a half-finished urban renewal plan, gave downtown a less-than-ideal character.
3: And I, th- I thought downtown seemed like you, you could either look at it as a uh, kind of a desperately underpopulated uh, downtown area, or you could say, you know, it's a really nicely appointed corporate office park.
0: The parking garages that were linked to the walled-off Constitution Plaza made it that businessmen could drive on the viaduct into Hartford Park and walk into their office building without their feet, or even their wheels, ever touching the ground.
3: You ended up with replacing all these places where people lived and worked in these old buildings with a, you know, what would have basically been Hartford's Little Italy, if you think of Boston and the North End of Boston. Instead, it got all torn down, and these, you know, modern buildings were built that became kind of sterile. These changes meant that. Except for
0: work or maybe the occasional concert or UConn basketball game, no one really ever had a reason to go to downtown anymore.
3: And you ended up with a situation where the life was kind of, uh, you know, sucked out of it. In 1970, only
0: five years after the road's completion, government officials started to notice some flaws in the construction of the viaduct as Casey Hardin explains.
4: Yeah, so Federal Highway and the Connecticut DOT published a study in 1970 um, that essentially looked at the impacts on the urban um, community uh, that were created by the construction of the freeways.
0: They noted in particular the height and the appearance of the viaduct, saying the impact of the freeway upon the physical environments to which it has been introduced has been both dramatic and overwhelming.
4: And then, Just the the kind of new swath of construction through the city led to this sort of open uh, space underneath it and this kind of, you know, really exacerbated that, that sort of land use divide.
0: The land under the viaduct predictably went to poor use. Much of it is underused parking lots and fenced up empty space. Walking under it or traveling through the underpass is time consuming
3: and intimidating. When you walk on Capitol Avenue, you go under the overpasses, I mean, over and over and over again, and you just think, oh my God, this is, uh, this is like some dystopian future that I'm living in. You know, it's, it's, it's unfortunate.
0: But regardless, the viaduct wasn't built for pedestrians. It was built for a single purpose, to alleviate congestion and car traffic. So how did it do with that?
4: There's a long stretch, in particular in the afternoon peak, where the average speed is below 20 miles an hour. And then even beyond that, the average speed is below 40 miles an hour, out as far as, say, West Hartford.
0: Even with the viaduct, traffic in Hartford is immense perhaps because those who designed the highway miscalculated exactly how many cars would use the viaduct per day.
4: The ADT is about 185,000 in a spot that was designed for 75,000.
0: And the issue with the viaduct can be boiled down to a couple of main reasons.
4: That speed differential and and in in particular the left exits, I mean there are are a couple on I-84 in Hartford, there's a couple in 91. left exits uh, really contribute to that with the the slower traffic on the left, which is where, you know, people are always taught is the passing lane.
0: The viaduct has a high frequency of exits, particularly left exits. And the number of cars switching lanes in such a short space makes the road very frightening. There's also an issue with the length of trips people are taking on the road.
4: Yeah, you know, people who could make a, a relatively easy bike walk connection or bus connection If they own a vehicle, they're now getting on one ramp, going a quarter of a mile, getting off another ramp.
0: That's Michael Morehouse, who worked with Casey Harden on the I-84 project.
4: And so that mix of extremely short distance local traffic using the highway.
0: This further adds to the mess, especially when cars enter the highway on the right, only to take the next exit, which is about a half mile away. And that exit happens to be on the left.
4: And you know, anybody who who has a car and, and lives and works at Hartford, They've done it. You've done those, those tricky movements where you get on the left side of the highway and, and try to find enough, uh, enough of a gap to, to shoot over to the right side and get off. Uh, that happens a lot. You know, that's not really what highways are designed for.
0: Carrie Provost, who has lived in and around Hartford her entire life, knows the anxiety that comes from driving on the viaduct well.
5: You know, it's like taking a deep breath and praying while you're switching lanes because it's such bad layout. And it's it's just like, you know, you get dumped in one place. You're like, but I need to be four lanes over that direction, but I can't get there from here. And now everyone's merging. And it's like it's a nightmare. Mm -hmm. And you find yourself making really split second decisions that are not safe for anybody.
0: Personally, as someone who has driven on the viaduct hundreds of times, I can tell you those feelings never go away.
5: Why is that the system? Why, do, why are we set up to have this sort of anxiety-inducing like, uh, sort of Mad Max chaos in front of us? Like, that's not right.
0: All of this combines for a stretch of road that is not only filled with traffic, but also incredibly dangerous.
4: I remember some statistics, something like three times the, uh, the crash rate for, for similar type interstate facilities around the state is within the Hartford area.
0: The road itself, which was seen as a solution to the traffic problem, ended up causing an even bigger one. But it still served the purpose of giving suburban commuters a direct line to their company headquarters underground parking lot. And it still creates a huge barrier. One that still makes life difficult for those on the wrong side of it. As Tony Cherlis describes.
1: Our median household income in Hartford's around $34,000. It's easily triple that in many of our surrounding towns. Um, it's a city where we have, uh, in many neighborhoods, concentrated multi-generational uh, poverty.
0: In the years since the completion of the viaduct, Hartford's reputation began to fall. Population dropped by 40% while the poverty and crime stayed high Things had gotten so bad that according to a 2002 New York Times article, only one city in the United States had a higher poverty rate. And even today, living under the viaduct comes with its own challenges. Just ask Provost, who lives nearby the road.
5: I have lived in the Frog Hollow neighborhood for about 11 or 12 years, and the viaduct is a thing that has a hurdle to overcome daily.
0: This makes it especially different when you want to get from one side to the other.
5: You go across this giant bridge, and it's, you know, you're going over train tracks, and you have to go by highway entrance and exits, so you get to decide which side of the road you're going to walk on, because one side is, like, waiting forever for lights and certain doom, and the other side um, might not be as convenient to you, you know, depending on where you're starting, fine. Um, It's a long time to be walking without any shade. Um, You know, no trees that you're walking under. Um, It's very dirty. You have a lot of debris from, you know, the exit ramps and stuff. You have people just cruise off of them. So, there's always crashes. You're getting pieces of cars up there.
0: And it's extremely important to reiterate. The viaduct was built as a physical barrier. One that makes mobility for those who live near it very, very, very difficult.
5: It's, it's like a sea, disconnecting you from just another part of the um, city. And you know, most people do travel like in different directions every day. Um, so yeah, it's a little bit wild to just have these physical dividers happening that are all so, so unnecessary.
0: Over time, living next to the freeway takes a considerable mental toll.
5: It's depressing and really, like, it says something about how your neighborhood is regarded when it's taken care of that poorly.
0: The city of Hartford went from being possibly the wealthiest in the nation to the poorest. But outside the city, especially in the green-zoned suburbs, you'd see little evidence that such a dramatic change took place.
4: Now a lot of people think about that and say how could Hartford have gone from the poor the richest to the poorest but it's not that the money disappeared the money moved. Look at where the money went and you can see movement of finances and capital and largely associated with the white residents who were able to move to the suburbs you'll see the money move to the suburbs over time and housing investments and and other types of capital.
0: The Hartford Metropolitan District, while surely not as strong as it used to be, is still one of the wealthiest in the nation despite the poverty in Hartford. Over time, the divide has become entrenched. It's something Harris experienced in person, having worked as a state marshal.
2: And I used to tell people, I said, I do not go in the suburbs at night knocking on doors.
0: He had a pretty good reason for that.
2: In the daytime, when I go out there and knock on doors, I see window shades move to the side. Then I expect, and usually it happens, about five minutes later, or three or four minutes later, police crew pulls up.
0: It's a reality Harris has been living with since the late 60s.
2: I'm really tired of living in self-defense mode. I've been in that mode now, seems like, ever since I came back from the world. Self-defense.
0: There are many things to blame for the downfall of Hartford but at the middle of all of them was the drastic urban renewal plans of the 1960s, and the viaduct was at the center of that plan.
4: The interstate highway didn't create all the segregation in Hartford, but it certainly reinforced it with a lot of concrete and rebar. I
0: also showed Denise Costanzo some before and after satellite images of downtown Hartford, and this was her response.